This episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast was brought to you by One Spa World. Do what you love, travel the world, and rapidly advance your career at the same time. Hello and welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauty Industry, Tamara Shaw. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today's guest is no stranger to the Beauté Industry podcast, as she returns today talking all things inflammation with us, it's Dr. Donna Lee Marcel. For those who haven't yet listened to Donna's episode, you can tune in and hear more of her story on episode 26. Otherwise, if you would just prefer to listen to this episode, I'll give you a brief introduction now. Donna is a biochemist with a doctorate in inflammation and has since created two of her own product ranges, Dermatonic Skincare and ReliverMed, A, a natural skincare brand, and B, a massage balm for inflammatory joints and muscles, which can be used during massage of body treatments. Today, Donna and I discuss the wound healing process, inflammatory cells you must know about, and how you can help your clients reduce their inflammation via stress and slow the aging process. Please forgive me in advance for my microphone today. It had a mind of its own and it sounds like I am speaking underwater for most of the conversation, but it was just too good to throw this entire chat out and start again. So I promise to organize it a little bit better for future episodes. Here's Donna and I on the topic of inflammation. Welcome back to the podcast, Donna. Hi, it's good to be here again. So good to have you. Uh, Donna, you're an expert in inflammation. And when I was thinking of who I could have on the podcast to cover this topic, it was always going to be you. (laughs) And um, though you're an expert, I would love to start with the basics of what is inflammation. Yep. Um, So inflammation essentially is a normal response in the body uh, to things like a foreign invader when we injure ourselves, um, stress. So, I mean, anything along the lines of from, you know, you get a cold to, you know, you have a major accident and there's massive trauma to your body. So your body needs to respond to that invasion to your body. So it's it's a very normal response, um, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, the body is basically trying to protect itself um, and heal itself, and that's why it's there to protect it. Um, now, obviously, inflammation can go quite wrong or get chronic, but that's, that's in, in other cases. But what inflammation generally is, is trying to protect yourself. Um, so bacteria gets into your system. You, typically, a lot of what you feel when you get sick or things like that is a lot of the symptoms of your body trying to protect yourself and not necessarily the invader. There are some symptoms that come with you know, viruses and bacteria, but a lot of it is what your body's trying to do to deal with this. Fantastic. Um, I no, think we forget that sometimes. Yeah, we do. Therapists. We do. We because, just think about the skin being inflamed, but not everything else. Yeah. So in terms of in terms of the skin as well, like you know, the skin is a bit. 
is a bit easier to see the inflammation because you see it, you know, you see that redness, you see that injury, whereas internally, um, you know, you start feeling, oh, I don't feel very well. I'm starting to get a fever. Um, Mm. And these are all the signs of inflammation. So the signs of inflammation, and there's, there's five of them, and they actually have, um, you know, way back when they put Latin names to them. And uh, the first one is pain, pain or dolor. Um, So you you feel something hurts, but it's all sort of interrelated. Uh, The second one is heat, you know, so you cut yourself even on a cut. Um, If you have quite a back cut as it's healing, you'll actually feel that it's a bit warm. Uh, and, and redness, I mentioned that. So heat and redness, quite often inflammation is red. So on the surface, you'll see that inside you won't necessarily, you know, for example, tonsillitis, you know, you look down your child's throat when they have tonsillitis and it's all mm-hmm. red and inflamed and swelling. Swelling is another one. An area becomes swollen. Um, and then eventually also the fifth one is loss of function. So those are all various signs of, of that you have inflammation going on in a particular area. And the way, the way those are all interrelated, like what inflammation actually does is it helps to increase blood flow to the area. So that's for delivering proteins and white blood cells um, to help defend that particular area. So you'll see the redness. You'll feel a bit more warmth when you ha- have a fever. Um, it triggers your white blood cells to migrate to the area and they multiply and they secrete all kinds of cytokines and recruit other cells. So there's a whole lot going on as soon as some kind of injury happens. Mm, there, it's funny that you say, you know, there are five kind of main principles of inflammation because I guess we we subconsciously or unconsciously rather know that, but when you kind of point out what those five are, it's like, yeah, wow, okay, it takes five things for us to actually recognize inflammation, Mm -hmm. which is, it's, you know, it's quite funny. Um, And you started talking there about the white blood cells migrating to the source of the inflammation. Yes. And we generally know this as the wound healing process. Yes. Can you talk more about that and just explore, you know, maybe how long it takes Mm -hmm. as well? Yeah. So the first thing that happens when a wound is generated, so there's four phases and a lot of people tend to forget about the first phase. So the first phase is called the hemostasis phase. And this is essentially you get typically when you get a cut or an injury, um, the body needs to try and stop that bleeding. So that's the key thing. It's the emergency response in your system and what happens, and this happens within seconds. So the first phase is a phase that's sort of within seconds to minutes. It's very quick. So what happens are platelets are recruited. So the, those are little cells that help um, clog, start, start the clogging of, your, of the, where you get a cut or an injury. So the platelets are recruited and they come into contact with that collagen that's open. And that collagen activates your platelets and begins an aggregation cascade. So your platelets are recruited, they aggregate and clump, and they basically form a dam at the injury site to help stop the bleeding. Um, after that initial step, uh, proteins such as thrombin come in and they start help forming that fibrin clot, that plug um, to help set coagulation in motion. So like I said, this first uh, step is triggered within seconds and lasts sort of up to about six minutes. It takes roughly about six minutes for a fibrin plug to completely form. So that's the first step. Um, The second step is what we know as the defense or the inflammatory stage. And this is when our white blood cells start being recruited. 
the first type of white blood cell that comes in are neutrophils. So they're very quick acting cells. They circulate around in your blood and they're ready there. They basically circulate around your blood, you know, monitoring for things like bacteria and viruses and things that shouldn't be there and they mop them up. Um, so this is your primary responder, the uh, white blood cell. They're very short-lived. The neutrophils um, only last a few days, but they're very powerful cells, very antibacterial and very quick to respond. Um, mm. They actually have little granules in them. Um, so they contain granules inside, uh, there's inside the cell. And these are the cells that um, generate your oxidative burst. So they'll generate reactive oxygen species. So now quite often we think of reactive oxygen species sometimes as being bad. Um, you know, you hear about in the environment, you know, pollution mm -hmm. and things generate reactive oxygen species. Um, however, reactive oxygen species are very powerful at killing bacteria. So they are important locally um, and in a controlled manner. So that's what the neutrophils do first is they respond quickly within a few minutes um, you know, spurt out all these cytokines and reactive oxygen species to mop up any bacteria or things like that that are in that open wound. They want to make sure it's clean. Mm, um, that makes sense. Exactly. So, so they go in there to try and mop things up. Um, so this, this response peaks at about 24 to 48 hours after injury. Um, and the neutrophils are gone within three days. Like I said, they're quite short-lived. But what happens is as the neutrophils are there and they've been triggered to respond, what they do is they then recruit macrophages. Now, macrophages are like my favorite cell in the whole world. <laughs> so I spent several years studying macrophages in, in all of my research. They're just an absolutely amazing cell. Mm -hmm. um, so now macrophages actually come from, a cell, excuse me, come from a cell called monocytes. So mm -hmm. monocytes are what are actually circulating in your blood. Um, so neutrophils recruit monocytes. And then what they do is they get differentiated or mature into macrophages. Mm -hmm. And macrophages are a highly phagocytic type of cell. And what that means is they basically gobble up everything. They, they gobble up all the garbage, the bacteria, and they actually gobble up dead cells as well. So the neutrophils... They're like the Pac-Man, aren't they? Exactly. That's a fantastic word. They're like a Pac-Man. It's, it's, it's true. Um, and so they'll even um, mop up the dead bits of cells that are at the injury site. So even neutrophils, you know, they have to go... Once they're finished, they have to go somewhere, right? So, so the body mops them up. So the macrophage will help um, also deliver other important cytokines and mop up, uh, do the master phagocyte job that it needs to do. So that response lasts about three to six days. And this is also when you really start to see some of that redness and swelling because of everything that's going on in, in mm -hmm. uh, you know, underneath, under the scenes with, with the macrophages and the neutrophils. So, so those cells have done their job to clean up that site. So they're doing that job so you don't get an infection. Um, so, that, so that happens so that everything is all nice and clean. Then the next stage is your proliferation stage. So under normal conditions, your wound is cleaned out. The bacteria have been kept at bay. Um, and, you know, you, you, your platelets have started to coagulate and start, you know, start closing the wound. Um, 
but what needs to happen next is you need to fill the wound. So quite often, so sometimes you'll feel like, say you have surgery and you, you feel your scar and along mm. that scar line, you can kind of feel it's a bit empty underneath, like yes. where the two pieces of tissue have been stuck together. So it's stuck together, whether that's with tape or stitching and the body has started to clump, you know, clot and, and seal it together but it still needs to fill that wound and sort of restructure that wound. So what happens in the proliferation stage is you start to get that filling of the wound, you get that contraction of the wound. And that's where, you know, if you get a cut and you, and you can see that your skin is pulling, like you have the scab in the middle and it starts mm. to pull and it's kind of itchy. So that's what's happening there is, is the skin is actually starting to contract so you, can, so you can fill that wound. And that's also why, you know, when you have major surgery that um, obviously you have it stitched to help your body keep that together or even, you know, your child falls, bumps his head, you know, it's not too bad but they need that little tape that pulls it together a little bit it's giving mm -hmm. your giving your body a little bit of help with that stage now Amazing. this stage is, is actually quite a it can be quite a long stage it can last anywhere from four days up to almost a month depending on how yeah. big your injury is so say you have a paper cut you know that's something that's very simple that's only going to take a few days mm. to fully resolve whereas if you have massive trauma or surgery that's going to last almost almost a month that stage because there's a lot of like it's been a major trauma and it's and it's a lot of remodeling there yeah and then the last stage is the maturation phase. So you've filled the wound, everything's going nice, you've got haven't gotten an infection, but now what the, the tissue needs to gain its strength back. So although the, the tissue has been filled, um, you actually have to regain the strength and integrity of that initial site. So it's doing its best to return back to normal. So what happens here is the collagen fibers actually start reorganizing the tissue starts remodeling and the cells in there actually start to mature into the cells that they're supposed to be, you know, whether it was, you know, you have bone cells that need to repair, you have the different layers of the skin that need to repair, you get stem cells that are recruited and then they have to mature and differentiate into the cells that it's meant to be there. And that's all assisted by cytokines that are in the area and other secreted factors. So the other tissue that's normal around it, um, will start helping to tell the cells you need to differentiate into a bone cell. Um, now, this obviously can go wrong as well, where you have, um, you know, keloid scarring, where it doesn't go quite, doesn't heal as nice as it mm. should. Um, yeah, so this, sometimes it can go wrong, but in most cases, in a, in a healthy person, it can heal quite well, and the, the body does what it's supposed to do. So that's essentially the wound healing cascade in a nutshell. Um, but what you can see is that there are stages that are very quick and fast, but the whole entire mm. process actually takes a lot longer than probably what we think. You know, there's a lot yes. going on underneath and in the background that you may not necessarily see that continues for a while after you induce an injury. Yeah, it's so funny because um, every time, you know, um, sometimes people say, oh, if you had a superpower, what would it be? And my little nerdy brain always goes to the wound healing process and mm -hmm. thinks, well, we already kind of have this superpower because if we inflame or if we cut, we are self-healing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and you kind of see it on cartoons and things like that where, you know, you've got this big cut and all of a sudden they look at the wound and it just heals itself. I mean, yeah. it's not that fast, but <laughs> yeah. we really are superhumans. It's it pretty is. cool, isn't it's, it? It's amazing. And it's what's really interesting is children up to the age of about 11, their regeneration capacity is unbelievable. Mm. So, it's, you know, there's even been cases, and sorry if somebody gets squeamish over this, but, you know, if, if children, you know, lose, you know, part of their finger, like say they're in an accident or they cut their finger they, they'll actually be able to almost fully re, like regrow that because just the they're still almost in that um sort of new it's not newborn but either in that stage where their body is learning how to build all their tissues so they'll they'll be able to re, regenerate a lot of things more than an adult would so their, their regeneration capacity is unbelievable Mm, isn't that incredible so just to recap we have four phases so we've Mm -hmm. got hemostasis which responds within seconds and that's we have the neutrophils which are kind of like the monitoring cells um in our white blood cell and they are antibacterial so they are going to basically go to the site kill all of the bacteria clean the wound and then we have the inflammatory process and that that kind of stage is where we, um, from the monocytes, we are recruiting the macrophages, which are like our little dead Pac-Man, our Pac-Man mm-hmm. who are gobbling up little dead skin cells and everything else that's in there to once again, I guess, clean the site yep. um, and deliver cytokines at the same time. Yep. From here, and depending on how inflamed the site is, is dependent on how long it's going to take, but approximately one to four days then we go into that proliferation. And so in the proliferation, we get the contraction of the wound. We're trying to gather all of our fibrin and our tissue together Mm -hmm. to pull the wound and to knit it. And sometimes at the site that can feel kind of maybe flaky or itchy, um, maybe dry as well. Mm. Um, And then once again, depending on the size of the wound, that can take quite some time before we go into the maturation stage which is as the name suggests where the site starts to mature we now have a better quality um, of collagen forming we have that scar now um, starting to regain and smooth in texture and everything's just kind of more maturing mm-hmm. before we go on to have a quote unquote normal um, yep. area or site yeah yep perfect and I guess as well we have to remember as skin therapists that for this very reason is why we tell our clients or why we have protocols in the treatment room, you know, for IPL or for skin needling, for example, if you, if you don't let the skin completely mature, then you're just coming back in at a certain stage and re-inflaming what has already been inflamed. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. I, th- I think that's one thing to, to keep in mind um, with, with the different procedures is that for something, as you get more invasive in the treatments, you know, you need to leave more downtime in between the treatments. Otherwise, then you're just inducing chronic inflammation. Um, I mean, something, you know, less invasive, you know, when you're down at the bottom of the scale, like microdermabrasion, you know, you're being pretty gentle with the skin. But then, you know, once you get, I haven't had microneedling done myself, but, you know, once you get to microneedling and you're actually inducing a a minor wound, I mean, that's a minor wound, but still you have to be very mindful of that 
and the fact that the cascade that happens afterwards actually takes quite some time and that you have to allow the body to actually do its own thing, which is why I think it's good that recommendations from what I've heard and what I've, you know, interacted with that post microneedling you typically basically want to leave the skin alone for for a good 48 hours mm. before because which is good because i mean you want to make sure you're keeping inflammation in check however you want to make sure the body is doing its its normal cascade of wound healing in, especially in that first critical you know 48 hours yeah you're absolutely right there and i love um how you're saying that you know you can't just do a treatment and feel like you understand the protocol of a treatment without actually understanding the inflammation pathway. Because Mm -hmm. if you are doing something like microneedling, you're getting that hemostasis, you're getting the blood clot on the surface of the skin. But for some reason, um, the neurophils might not be actually working so well or there's something internally wrong. We don't have enough vitamin K or whatever it may be. And we can't have that coagulation of the blood going from a liquid into a gel form, then you as the therapist need to be really mindful of how that skin's then going to progress through that inflammatory cascade. Yeah. And that's where, and and, I mean, you talk a lot about consultation and I mean, that's where, Mm. again, the consultation is so important because the, the person the person that's getting the treatment may not think about certain things, but if you ask the questions, like they may not put two and two together and say, Oh, well, I take aspirin every day for something that might affect things a little bit. Um, You know, are they on blood thinners? You know, are, are they an, a slightly older patient that has had a heart conditions and they're, mm. they're on blood thinners or, or even platelet aggregation inhibitors? Those are going to affect things. So whether or not that's where some deeper concert, consultation comes about where should you be doing microneedling on that client? And while whether or not that you go and say, go talk to your GP or whoever and say, look, this is what you'd like to get done. How am I going to go? Or is it something where they can you know, not take their medication just for a short time before, before their treatment and then restart again after that all takes consultation with their GP. Their GP might say, yeah, you'd be okay. Miss that one, you know, miss that one uh, medication and then take it. But then again, that's, that's a pretty big deal. It depends on Mm -hmm. what kind of, what kind of medication they're on or even autoimmune diseases. Some people, again, may not think about the fact that, they have a disease where they have impaired immune function and maybe, yes. you know, all these things. So that's, again, where the consultation is just really important for, for, the, for these amazing new treatments that, that are coming out where, where you're getting amazing responses um, on the skin. However, you are generating a wound and you really have to be careful with what you're doing with particular people and just probing those questions with people because, again, they might not think, think that something's important. Mm, or yeah. might not think it's relevant in a skin treatment exactly they think oh i'm going to get a i'm going to get a facial but then then the therapist says oh well you know i really think microneedling would help you know yeah. with this but then you have to fully explain what microneedling is all about and other other you know uh, treatments where you where you can break the skin and just have that really good consultation Yes, amazing. You spoke there about um, the neutrophils, monocytes and macrophages. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there are any other kind of main inflammatory cells that perhaps therapists should have a basic knowledge of. Well, those really are the key ones. Like the three, the three that I, that I have here are the first one is the platelets. You know, they're the first responders. Don't mess with them. You know, so when, <laughs> when you're, you know, when your mom was saying, don't pick your scab or don't wipe, it's, it's important, you know, as 
you know, when something starts bleeding, um, don't keep wiping off that blood. That's, that's, you know, that's why they say hold, you know, hold an injury site or, you know, cause it helps it to stop, to stop bleeding and to clot. If you keep wiping that surface, then it, you're, you're starting, you keep starting it off from square one. You need to allow it to coagulate. So that's why, you know, even if you make a tiny little, a tiny little, um, teeny tiny pinpoint size, but it bleeds a tiny little bit and where you leave it and it, let it, it, it scabs. So mm. you don't want to mess with the platelets. Um, again, platelets and the, and the platelets and the coagulation coagulation system is very important um, in the very first steps. So you want to make sure that that is allowed to proceed. Um, yeah, the neutrophils, like I said, the neutrophils are, are really amazing. They, they respond within the first minutes to hours and it's why we need inflammation. So you know, there's, there's, there's a place for taking anti-inflammatory agents. We need them, but there's also a place for our body to be able to normally respond. We'll be back with more from Donna after this short message from our sponsors. Community, I've spoken many times about my incredible experience working overseas in my career, and now you can too. Imagine working for the leading spa operator on board luxury cruise ships. Well, One Spa World operates day spas on over 160 luxury cruise ships which sail the seven seas. So if you're a passionate beauty therapist who is looking for more excitement in your everyday life, then you are in luck because One Spa World are now recruiting. Do what you love, travel the world and rapidly advance your career all at the same time. To see if you've got what it takes to work on board, download your free Career at Sea information pack from realseachange.com. That's real, S-E-A, change.com. Thank you so much to One Spa World for making this episode possible. And now back to Donna. Some other important um, cells that, that, that play a part in the immune system, but not so much in this initial inflammatory cascade that you'll hear a lot about as well are lymphocytes. So lymphocytes are another, another white blood cell that play more of a long-term uh, part in in your response and in your healing process in, and in defending yourself from from pathogens and they produce antibodies and all these kinds of things as well mm. and it's it's interesting that we talk there about blood and platelets and having a good quality platelet to actually allow that coagulation of the site to happen Mm -hmm. and I guess this all really comes from internally what we're putting in our mouth exactly because all of our blood is really like a cocktail or concoction of what we eat so I'm wondering if you can share with us maybe some foods that are anti-inflammatory well that sorry are inflammatory yep yeah no um because yeah inflammation comes from our food our environment um all that all that kind of stuff so we're being bombarded these days but um Mm. I'm trying to think if it was Rebecca Miller recently that had it that you spoke with that was talking about certain foods like this and basically it's all the bad stuff it's all the stuff that tastes good so so things like (laughs) your your refined carbs so think white breads you know croissants they you know they they they're very processed and they don't have much grain to them um, things like artificial trans fats, you know, they, they lower your good cholesterol, they impair your endothelial cell function. So these are the endothelial cells are the cells that line your, your blood vessels as well. And they just, they induce all kinds of, um, inflammatory mediators. Um, also fried foods, you know, fried foods, cause they're typically, 
you know, you go to Macca's or something and they're all Mm -hmm. fried in vegetable oils. They taste really good, but they're high in omega-6 fatty acids, which are not good for you. All these things can trigger different parts of inflammatory cascades or they can modify molecules like your, you hear of your bad cholesterol, which is LDL, Mm. low density lipoprotein. Um, Once that molecule gets modified by something like oxidation it becomes basically way worse it becomes much more uh, pro-inflammatory pro able to form atherosclerosis all those kind of things so these foods will do that to some of these molecules Um, sugary drinks you know all your sodas and high sugar drinks um, because what it does is it generates high levels of fructose and the fructose will increase several anti-inflammatory markers Um, red meat. So red meat and processed meat. I mean, red meat is important in your diet, but of course in moderation, but Mm. processed meats, what they all contain, especially as they're processed or as they're cooked, um, they contain advanced glycation in products and what, and they just do like you hear, you hear them being called age or ages. So Mm. they just do all kinds of bad things to the body. Like they're, it's just, you don't want to be producing lots of advanced glycation in products. They're just horrible. Um, margarine, lard or shortening. I mean, they're, they're just like lard. I mean, that's just like, I mean, our, our parents probably used to cook with lard all the time or bake, you know, but, but, you know, it made for really yummy, you know, pastry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, excessive alcohol, you know, it affects your healthy gut bacteria. And a lot of this also links back to that healthy gut bacteria as well. All these foods, yeah. you know, having a healthy gut. Um, so of course, all of these foods, you know, of course, we've heard this before, it doesn't mean completely cut them out of your diet. You know, these are, as they say, you know, as they would say in daycare with my kids, you know, these are sometimes foods, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we have to really monitor how much we add these into your, into your diet. You know, you, you know, the typical, we hear, we hear it over and over again, stick to your leafy greens, your fresh vegetables, um, you know, fish, fish is amazing. Um, all those kinds of things that are, you know, higher in the better fats and oils that are free Mm. from all these, um, modified, you know, these, these advanced glycation end products and and things that are going to trigger, trigger inflammation. So again, it's just, it's, it's in moderation, (laughs) but yeah, those (laughs) are, but basically it's any, any of those, you know, typical processed, um, sugary type foods that are that are not going to be helpful to your system and contribute to inflammation. Yeah, and just honoring food as Mother in Nature intended, you know, having exactly. polyphenols and having your nutraceuticals, things that literally a piece of food from a plant or, you know, from an animal is how food was always eaten and then I guess we as humans have just come along and thought oh we can actually make that taste a little bit more like an apple exactly like you know something so I guess just going back to what food really is and Mm -hmm. for me food is a way that I actually cope with stress and I know that stress is huge in mm. inflammation. I'm wondering if we can explore that. Yep, of course. Um, so stress, of course, plays a big part in inflammation. Um, and we know that one of the main molecules that's involved in stress is cortisol. Now, mm. cortisol is typically anti-inflammatory in a normal state. So it's, it's part of your you know, fight and flight response um, defending your body. However, when it's the stress is uncontrolled or you have excessive stress, 
you're actually impairing the body's ability to allow cortisol to regulate inflammation. Mm. So, and, and again, it hampers stress, hampers your immune system. It, you're, it, especially when it's chronic, chronic stress, you know, it, it, your body just, your immune system just doesn't function properly. And, and people feel that, you know, when people are constantly stressed, they're always tired. They feel run down. They get sick more often, you know, all these things, um, because the inflammatory and, and your own body's defense system just can't, can't function properly. Um, so when you get so when you get stressed and you and you get you know you see that person getting sick more often, it doesn't necessarily mean they're getting infected more often because they're obviously in the same environments. It's just their ability to deal with that bacteria or virus is impaired. Mm. Um, same with you know you think of eczema. People yes. that are, you, you can tell when people are more stressed. Someone who typically has eczema off and on in their life, you, you can almost tell when they're stressed because their eczema has flared up. Um, so it's triggering, it's triggering that response. So yes, stress definitely plays a very big part in inflammation. Um, it definitely can trigger it off, make it worse. Um, and, and it's all interrelated because then if you have more inflammation and you have all these diseases progressing, then you get more stressed, you know, because your eczema has flared up. So you're stressed because you look, don't look great and, and all this kind of stuff. So it kind of turns into a bit of a vicious cycle. Yeah, you're completely right there because I guess when when we are stressed, then we don't have the healthiest eating habits. Mm-hmm. When we don't have the healthiest eating habits, we're influencing the gut, which we know plays a huge part on inflammation. And then when we have inflammation, <laughs> we're having that link back to cortisol, which makes us stress. And it is just this really yeah. vicious cycle. So then it kind of comes back to your mindset then. So then in order to mm. break that cycle, it's a matter of, you know, because a lot of people say that, oh, I know I should go to the gym. I know it's going to make me feel better. It's, it's yeah. just getting out of that mindset and getting yourself into that positive frame to get yourself out of it and be eating better. And it's, and it's baby steps. And, that's, and then this comes again, just the, mind, the mindset, baby steps. You're not going to tackle everything overnight. You're not going to suddenly, you know, if someone has, a bad, you know, has, a, you know, has bad habits in eating, doesn't exercise, doesn't take care of themselves, you know, maybe even smokes, you can't change those things all at once because it's not going to happen. You, you know, you have to try and take baby steps in one thing at a time to, and then you'll start slowly seeing the improvements and everything because you're dealing with one little bit at a time. Yeah, I like that. It's almost the the process of elimination as well. That too. Which one's the worst? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and sometimes when people get inflammation of some sort, they don't know where it comes from. That Mm -hmm. would be, Is I mean, I guess, is that the first place where you kind of point people towards is say, well, let's take a look at, is it the mind? Is it um, the skin? Is it the body? Is it the gut? Is it what you're putting in your mouth? Like, let's actually have that process of elimination and find out what that trigger is. Yeah. But there's also a time where it's very important to start involving health practitioners. So 100%, you know, if you're starting to feel chronically stressed or, or something is always hurting or, you know, things, then it's that, that's, that's a big flag to go start seeing a GP. It might be nothing. It might just be, but it's a good time. Like if you don't get to go to see the GP very often and you're starting to feel rubbish and, and, you know, you know, your diet's not great and, and things just don't feel right inside and you've got to get yourself on a better track. I think a good start is, to, is, is if you don't see your GP regularly is to ensure that everything is okay on the inside, you know, and that's where, you know, you can do all your blood tests to check all kinds of markers. 
um, and just see what you need to change in order to get things back back in, in line. Now, our bodies are pretty amazing and they'll try and reg- regulate stuff. So, you know, we have to be in some pretty bad shape for, for a lot of things to, to get completely out of whack. But, you know, if you're having a lot of pain, you need to check if there's something more going on like arthritis, you know, or, you know, mm-hmm. you always have a sore back or you always have a sore knee. The longer that, you know, you leave those kinds of chronic inflammation unchecked, they can start you know, getting, they can start actually damaging your tissues. So, so it's one thing to have, you know, in, inflammation that goes on, which is normal, but to have it chronically continue, it needs to be addressed. And that doesn't necessarily mean to have to take um, some kind of pharmaceutical. It just means to find out what's going on and then, mm. and then you can go from there. Yes. And something that I think maybe people don't quite realize in terms of information at the moment is the amount of pollution Mm. that we are consuming. And I think we'll probably find out more about this within like five or ten years Mm -hmm. um, as it gets worse and as the climate starts to develop and change. Um, I'm wondering if you can then explain for us that relation of pollution and inflammation. Yeah. So pollution can uh, definitely can trigger, trigger inflammation. So pollution, although we don't see a lot of it we can smell Mm. it um pollution are very is very small foreign particles that are that are either getting in contact with your skin or in your lungs or they you know they contaminate our water or food um and they certainly can trigger an inflammatory response or what they can do is they can exacerbate a response that someone would normally have you know the typical Uh example being as being asthma yes so um the matter that's so the particulate matter that's in the air um they sort of categorize it into into different sizes so anything that is less than 2.5 microns which is quite small um but they that can get into the lungs um anything that goes down to 10 microns that gets stuck in the nasal passageways so our, our nasal passageways are actually quite good filtering out some stuff you know so they'll stop certain things getting all the way into our lungs Mm -hmm. however things that are on the much smaller level like more microscopic level like 2.5 microns those get into our lungs so that's not good now someone who has you know there's not too much pollution around they're a relatively healthy person their immune system is in check they'll be able to deal with those particles and those invaders Um, so those the particles that are that size down to the 2.5 microns are things like exhaust from our cars, um, fuel born burning, oh. forest fires. So, you know, you have mm. hazard reduction and they give you a warning and there's all this smoke around. So that's, so that actually doesn't just get into your nose, that actually gets into your lungs. Um, things like when a volcano erupts and, the, you know, there's all kinds of smoke and particles into the air. And all those, these particles, they can actually travel really, really far. You know, so that's also why, you know, I, I live up here in the Blue Mountains and, you know, we're, we're a big bushfire zone. And so they actually mm. do quite a lot of hazard reduction. But, um, you know, it was about a month ago they were doing hazard reduction up here in Hazelbrook. But in Katoomba, up here where we are, it was, you know, clear skies and blue. But down in right. North Sydney, you know, people were, weren't able to breathe because that's how mm. far it traveled and how far it affected people. So those kind of, so that's things like that can really, really affect people. So what, what can happen when those particles actually make their way into the lungs? 
they again, what they do is they can actually activate cells such as macrophages and dendritic cells. So the macrophages come in again. So macrophages, so, so the macrophages will be in the lungs. So there's actually al alveolar macrophages that are sitting there. And they're actually because the lung is, it, lungs are in contact eventually with, you know, outside air comes in there. So you have to defend the body mm. from, from those things. Um, so, yeah, so, so those particles can actually activate those cells and they will try and mop them up. But then again, you are going to get that response. You know, you're going to get inflammation. So you may not feel great. You know, you're going to start coughing or, you know, you might even get a little bit of excess fluid development. Um, it can also activate, um, so a type of lymphocytes. So I'd mentioned lymphocytes before. Mm -hmm. So there's um, CD4 positive T cells. Um, and what they do is they have cytokines that they secrete. And that's, what, that's one of the things that's linked to an asthmatic response. So for those people that have asthma, those cells get, those cells get activated. And also your, your lungs start to, like your alveola start to contract. So, you know, people who who have asthma, um, you know, you can't breathe, your whole entire lungs are constricted um, because of that response that's happening. Um, so someone who normally is pretty fine with their asthma until they get in contact with a particular allergen or things like, or things like, um, you know, smoke, if yeah. there is a really bad day of pollution, like, you know, the, if, if there's, you know, small, you know, that, you know, where there's, there's a day where all of the pollution's being trapped in the environment, asthmatics are going to have exacerbated responses those days. So, mm. and then that, that, that ends up triggering inflammation. So, and then that can, again, say, for example, on that same day, they just so happen to come in contact with a cold virus. Yeah. Maybe on a normal day, they wouldn't have really developed the full symptoms of that cold virus. And maybe they would have been able to defend themselves, but you impact that all that pollution and their asthmatic response with, with uh, whatever bacteria they're around and they get sick. Mm. So, so pollution can certainly trigger, um, can trigger it, obviously it can trigger inflammation, but it can also hamper your immune system and, and, and can make some people really sick. And you've even heard of things of, of people dying from, from things um, yeah. like these thunderstorms that, that suddenly yes. create all these allergens in the air and people have died. Like it's unbelievable what, the, what can happen and how sensitive the body can be. But again, that's the body having a normal response, but in some people that normal response can just go a wall and and unfortunately kill someone if it's not um kept in check yeah isn't that so interesting yeah. just and and for me um I go fishing a lot with my husband mm -hmm. and when we're out on the water I look back towards Brisbane and I'm like oh my goodness look at you can see it you know mm -hmm. it hangs you can around see the, the city doesn't yeah. it yeah. one of the worst cities and I apologize to anybody who's from here but in <laughs> Los Angeles like if anybody ah. has flown into Los Angeles especially in the summer it's just quite often this thick brownish yellow Truly. haze that you're landing through and you just sort of go Oh, people. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, these things are going to, uh, you know, help trigger, you know, chronic diseases in people, you know, so, so mm. the elderly will be more susceptible. There's, there's way more asthma in places like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And you you were talking there about um, inflammation, the ways that you know it can come into the lungs, and we know that inflammation can come in contact, obviously, with the skin. But mm-hmm. we're now seeing this real kind of trend towards the word inflammaging, mm-hmm. which is your inflammation and your aging. Yes. And that really starting to speed up the aging process. I guess this all comes down to the telomeres and that kind of those little caps on the end of the chromosomes that are shortening our aging process. Mm -hmm. Do you mind just explaining for us how inflammation is actually affecting the way that we age? Yeah. So, so I, um, I, I mean, I've definitely heard a lot about inflammation, but it's not something that I was a super expert on. So I did a little bit of research on it and it's mm. actually a relatively new concept. So oh. the, the term inflammation refers to the like chronic low grade inflammation, inflammation that's going on in our bodies, which a lot of us probably have now that, mm-hmm. that contributes to our characterizing characterizes what we see as aging it's in, it's non-resolving inflammation so it's inflammation that never really gets never really completes it it, it just keeps going on right. um, so that's what that's sort of what it tends to be um, defined as um, it reduces the again reduces the body's ability to function properly um, but as I said it's it's a relatively new concept and when I looked it up so that concept the inflammaging term was first brought about in 2000 so so that's actually mm. relatively new um, it is um but it's quickly it, in 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 some research papers it's been quickly linked to diseases like all the aging diseases um like alzheimer's mm. heart disease type 2 to be diabetes and cancer but the mechanisms they still don't completely understand the mechanisms so i know there's definitely a lot of new aging research institutes that are popping up and and people are madly looking into, into this so they're no so they know there's a link um, but they don't know exactly the full mechanisms. Um, what they do mm. know is that macrophages are at the center of inflammation. My favorite cell. There you go. <laughs> yes. So yes, <laughs> what, they, what they do know is macrophages are at the center of it. And it also involves the microbiota of the gut. So again, we keep coming back to this, how important yes. it is. Um, so what happens is it essentially involves all the bits and pieces of the old, our own garbage in our system. So for example, we have cells that travel around, around in our body and proteins that are going here and there and cells will die, you know, cells do what their job and then they die. And then our body usually cleans them up and mops them up and, and gets rid of them. Um, mm. You know, this happens with macrophages, um, proteins that haven't been developed properly. They get degraded in something called the proteasome um, in a cell. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's basically like almost like a garbage compactor. Like, so, so the proteins go into the proteasome and what gets spit out um, are all the amino acids and, and they can get recycled, basically. Um, yeah. So what happens as we age is all of these molecules and remnants of dead cells and altered molecules you know damaged dna and uh, they normally get cleaned up and as we age that ability to do that decreases so you have bits of dead cells that are floating around altered molecules and what they do is then they start um they get seen by the body as foreign so then the, the body starts, you know, responding to these in an autoimmune fashion. And so you get this sort of low grade inflammation happening because all this garbage is basically hanging around our bodies and we can't deal with it as we age, especially if we're not taking care of ourselves. 
Mm. Um, so, and there's, there's actually a couple of really good research papers that are, are free open access um, that I'm happy to share in the group as well, sort of on this topic. Because yeah, um, there's a few theories. So again, there's theories, and that's what you know scientists are working on right now is testing these theories um, mm. as to the link. Um, but there's a really one of the really good review papers not too long ago in the Journal of Immunology. Um, reviewed sort of the different current theories behind inflammaging. And of course, they're, they're probably all involved in, in, different, in different stages. Um, but they're, you know, stress. Stress is one of them that contributes. Oxidation. So mm. oxidation of, of proteins, oxidation, just reactive oxygen species in our body, pro-inflammatory cytokines Mm -hmm. so whether that's you know overproduction of pro-inflammatory cytokines and that's what's happening um dna damage and as you mentioned the telomeres you know as as the as we age you know our dna is basically getting shorter and shorter and you know their telomere length is very important and linked to aging Mm. um as well as stem cell aging so the ability of your stem cells to come in and differentiate into the cells it needs to go to as tissue needs to repair or cells need to regenerate. Um, so basically if the inflammation, if left unchecked and chronic, it does contribute to aging and age related diseases um, mm-hmm. or disease linked to early death. So again, it's all, it's, we've all kind of known this stuff for a little bit for a little while, yes. but it's, it's getting down to the mechanisms of how all this happens and it, and, it, and it will come it's you know you hear about um you know you hear about a particular cancer you know and we say oh scientists have discovered now the gene that that um is linked to this type of breast cancer or you know it just it takes years of research to to nut down exactly what causes these these diseases or these these um like it's for something like inflammation or inflammation mm. it's it takes a lot of research to link all these things together so but you know we do eventually get there (laughs) yeah lots of research Mm -hmm. I guess the main principles really are have a healthy mind have a healthy body and watch what you're putting into your mouth and then live in a healthy environment yeah which is easily said for some of for some people you know but it's it's true (laughs) it's just making sure that we're putting the best things into and onto our body um Mm. you know for, for, to give ourselves the best outcome so we don't end up with all these horrible diseases of aging, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I guess, the, it, you know, we're kind of ending on a little bit of a, um, a downer, but I, I I'm sorry to, to pick it up, <laughs> pick up the energy again. You know, we're talking about aging and pollution and stress and, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but what kind of ingredients um, do you kind of always look towards in times of inflammation? Yeah. So um, things we can do both internal and external. So, so one of the internally, um, and some of it overlaps a bit, um, you, you will have heard a lot of research on something called resveratrol. So mm. re- resveratrol is an extract from grapes. And, you know, this is where everybody tries to say, oh, if you drink red wine, that's good for you, <laughs> which is fair enough. But the amount of uh, wine you'd have to drink to get the resveratrol you need is, yes. is a bit ridiculous. <laughs> but internally, like you have to think of the inside and the outside. So internally, mm. um, supplements like resveratrol, there's also curcumin, like uh, turmeric, um, which is something that we're very passionate about, is an amazing antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. Um, something as simple as calorie restriction. So, I mean, that's, you hear about all these d- different, but like 
you know, moderate calorie restriction. You hear about some of these mm-hmm. diets where, um, I forget there's like the five, two words that you hear all these diets yes. where, where you have sort of moderated calorie restriction, which can be quite good for you. Interestingly, metformin. So metformin is, is what, um, people take to regulate their blood sugar in type two diabetes. So, you know, if you're someone that's sitting there with all this low grade inflammation, you're borderline type two diabetes, your GP might actually put you on metformin to sort of get things in check. And that's actually not necessarily a bad thing because Mm -hmm. it's actually, it can actually be quite good for your body to start regulating some of this inflammation. You know, going back to eating well, the omega-3 fatty acids and getting things checked like your B vitamins and your D vitamins and see if some of those need to be supplemented specifically. Um, but in terms of topical, um, I mean, there's so many fantastic ingredients out there. Uh, and, you know, we tend to focus on the natural ones. Um, and that's where things like turmeric come in. Again, such an amazing anti-inflammatory and you hear about it so much. It, it really is really great as a topical for, for inflammation. Um, we know things like calendula and chamomile are very calming as well. Um, Arnica and ginger are both good for inflammation, but ginger as well for your, for your immunity. So ginger is very, very good for immunity. Um, one of the, one that not everybody may have heard about is astaxanthin, which is an mm-hmm. antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, very, very powerful as well. So they're quite good. I mean, aloe vera, of course, we know that aloe vera is very calming and gentle to the skin, or it can be for most people and can calm inflammation. Um, an interesting one is willow bark. Um, I don't know if people have heard about willow bark. Yeah. It's actually, it's good for acne, but it's also quite good um, for inflammation as well. Um, then you've got some other good antioxidants like green tea and pomegranate. Those are quite good, to both topically and internally. Um, now, interestingly, licorice extract. So a lot of people know about licorice extract for its brightening effects, um, but it actually is quite good for, for, for antioxidant inflammation as well. And then one, one really good Australian that I'll sort of finish off with here is kakadu plum. So kakadu plum is amazing. Very, very high in vitamin C, but also a stable form of vitamin C. Mm. Um, So it's just really, really good, really good topically. Um, So again, it's having a good mix of of anti-inflammatories and antioxidants topically to help calm. And this would just then then ties back into our, our, um, our treatments, you know, so when you're looking at something that you're going to be doing on the face, that's going to trigger some mild inflammation, you need to start looking at the ingredients, obviously that you're putting on afterwards and whether that's immediately for something that's more mild inflammation that you're, you're inducing, or if you're doing something a bit more invasive, then you, you know, you want to wait a couple of days before you start putting some of these ingredients on the face as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for that, Donna. It has been an absolute pleasure having you return to the podcast Oh, my pleasure too. What an incredible topic to cover and what an incredible woman. One-on-one educational information like this would normally set you back a small fortune and for that I am so thrilled that we can bring this education to you for free. Next time you see inflammation on the skin or body, I hope that some of this information permeates into your thinking and that you proceed treatment planning with the wound healing response in mind. 
If you think your colleagues, your boss, or anyone else should listen to this episode, please feel free to share it with them by grabbing their phone, opening up this podcast, and showing them how to subscribe. And if you love today's episode too, show us some love by hitting that five-star rating or by writing us a review. It's free and it helps us to continue to educate more industry ears. Thank you again for tuning into this episode. We so appreciate your support. Until next time, stay connected.